We'll begin uh, the lesson, we'll call it tonight, in Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. <clears throat> I'm going to present some things from the Bible on, um, uh, on our homes, how our homes should be, some things about how we should, what our homes should be like, and um, primarily, well, that we'll start with these texts that tell us um, about a father's responsibility for his children. There's some pretty stunning things that the Bible says about that. I'd like to grab our attention with those verses and then work our way back and say, how could we get to that position where we could do what these verses say um, without blowing our house up. Um, I've thought about this. I grew up listening to preaching and teaching on the home. And if you've been a member of our church for a long time at, last, at least, we've heard it over and over and over again. But it, it never gets old. And there's a reason for that. It's called years. When you heard it 20 years ago, or when we preached it 20 years ago, some of you weren't alive. Those of you that were alive weren't thinking about children. You know, we're all in different stages. So we can always learn what the Bible has to say because even if we listened well and attentively when we heard it before, now we've We've experienced different things. We're facing different things, and we need that reminder, whether we're looking at the idea of encouraging our children with their children or being a child and knowing what, is, what, what I should do in my own home toward my parents and everywhere in between. Um, teaching and preaching on the home is always an appropriate topic. Um, well... You know, it might, maybe not at a funeral or something like that. But as far as in the calendar year, in the life of a church, it's always an appropriate topic. So let's pray, and then we'll get in, into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the many years of teaching on the family here at Fairhaven. Thank you for the strong desire that everyone, I don't think there's anyone here that doesn't desire to have a family that pleases you. And we thank you for that. Lord, we are flesh. We get our nose twisted around or our, our heart somewhere else and, and we, we get off track from what your word says. All of us do. That's why we need to be brought back to it each time. And in every aspect of our life, tonight we're going to look at what you've told us about our homes. And I pray that you'd help us to Receive it as it is in truth, the word of God, your word. I pray that you'd help me to just plainly bring your word and some application of it, and beside that, get out of the way. And I pray that what we do here tonight would help our homes. Lord, if we have strong homes, we'll have a strong church. And we ask that you would bless our homes, that you'd help us to be able to, Lord, if we... If we can produce 
laborers out of our homes. Lord, we want laborers. We need laborers. We're praying for laborers. And you've given us some in our own homes, Lord. Help us to um, especially cultivate and help, the ch- help our children that you've given us flourish into the laborer that you want them to be. And I ask that this lesson could help us toward that. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 30, 3-0. Numbers 30, verse 1 says, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing that the Lord hath commanded. Okay, so this is a command. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord, and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow and her bond, wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But... If her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. And the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. And if she at all, if she, and if she had at all an husband when she vowed or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and goes on to explain how a husband can also disallow or annul a vow that a, woman, that a lady makes, that a woman makes. And then, then verse 16, it says, These are the statutes with which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between a father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. So just quickly, God describes to here, and in the normal course of life, there are exceptions, but in the normal course of life, women find themselves in two circumstances. With a father that can annul any vow that they make, or with a husband. There are exceptions, but it's normal. In God's normal circumstances, with some few exceptions, a woman finds herself with a father that can say, no, you're not going to do that. Or a husband that says, no, you're not going to do that. And regardless of the fervency of spirit that was behind that vow, God says he forgives the, the, la- the lady for that because her husband disallowed it. Now, if it's, if, and, and we get the idea that this is a serious matter that the woman has bound herself and vowed to do. If a father can disallow a very serious spiritual matter, there should be nothing else that a father couldn't disallow either. Am I getting my negatives right there? Anything that a daughter says they're going to do should be able to be, no, you're not going to do that. She's all the way down 
and, may, and beyond to see you, see you later, have a good day at school. Uh-uh. Now, you better go change your shoes or anything else. And it's the father's responsibility. So the title is The Father's Responsibility for Children. All the way to that. Now, I get it. If we just went around saying, change your shirt, change your shoes, change all this, you know, pretty soon we're going to run out of, um, like, she's going to say, do I do anything right? And all whatever. And that's what the rest of the lesson is going to be talking about. But the point is, the Bible says a man can do that. So the Bible also tells us how we can have the home that that is going to be. It shouldn't be normal that a father has to do that. But he can do it, and it won't blow the house up. 1 Samuel 3, verse 13. 1 Samuel 3, verse 13. I'll just read it. If you can get there quickly, that's fine, but it's just one verse. It's not as long a passage. But it's a text for fathers and sons. God is speaking to Samuel about Eli, I believe. But what he says here is, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. So these were adult sons. They were doing adult sins. And Samuel did not restrain his sons. Now, in the technical sense of the word, he was the high priest. He had the authority to kick them out of the priesthood because of what they were doing. But in what it says there, they were his sons. It's, if, if he could, as the high priest, remove them from the priesthood, God expected him to restrain his sons. There's got to be some way we can live so that that can happen, so that we can restrain our sons. We should never, and some of us are, but we should never be to the point where we feel like I can't really do anything anymore. How can, we, how can we get to the point where we can do, be the father that God expects, a father that can restrain his sons? I think in this, because it's adults, that's specifically ministry, but they were his young sons before that, and it's, you know, he, he had a pattern of letting them do what they wanted, and he couldn't restrain them. So the biblical view of a man and his children, and this is, somebody's going to take this and just twist it, but is that a man can tell his daughter what to do, and a man can tell his son what to do, and they should cheerfully obey. Cheerfully obey. Now let's be careful. Point number one, be careful. That's the goal. That's the way it should be. But, because we're human beings, we make mistakes along the way. We don't do everything we should all the way through day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year of our children growing up under our care. 
And if we have a pattern of not being biblical in our home, we won't have any, let's call it, emotional or spiritual assets in the bank to be able to write that check when we're saying, nah, you're not gonna wear that. Our spiritual and emotional assets for our, with our daughter might be in the red, where we only have two cents worth of assets, and writing that check about the way she's dressing costs more than two cents worth of emotional assets. So you can't just take this lesson with your 16-year-old son and say, Pastor Vogelin said it, we're laying down the law. You're asking for trouble. You also, though, since God expects it, can't say, well, I blew it. I'm just going to live with it the way it is. Let him go his own way. All this, this whole idea starts when children are young, when they're born. So some of you are like, some of you are looking forward to having children. Some of you have young ones. Some of you have primaries and juniors and teenagers and older. Just because it should start when, it's, when they're born doesn't mean we can't jump on. Because most of you are trying to have a godly home anyway. We're just going to make some course adjustments or even just minor tweaks. Or maybe you've got it all down. I don't think any of us have that. But it starts when children are born. If you haven't started your children on this path of being able with this relationship between father and daughter and father and son, you'll have a harder time getting there if you decide that you're going to follow what the Bible says. Proverbs 22, 6 does say, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. It can be... It could be said that way, right? Train up a child in the way he wants to go, and you won't take him off of that path. But it can also be said this way. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. But the point is, if, we're, if you're later into the game, you, you've let him go his way for a while, you're going to have to depend on prayer and the Holy Spirit. And, and is the Holy Spirit strong enough to do these things? Yes. Beg for the mercy of God and be right with God and with your family. God is merciful. So if you haven't started your children on this path, you'll have a harder time getting there. But you must ask their forgiveness and work in this direction. So how can we get to that, this circumstance where there's a beautiful strong relationship between fathers and their children, between parents and their children, where the children trust their parents to do what they're told and don't go their own way. There's some First off, I'd like to mention some foundational thinking, some foundational believing, and some foundational acting. At the base, that is a foundation. We need to think a certain way. We need to believe some things and act a certain way. First off, if you're a believer, God expects your children to be Christians. He expects them to become Christians. He expects them to become a stronger Christian than you. Doesn't the verse say, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior? 
That can be applied to generations too, not just to you. We should be striving that our children have a stronger, deeper, more fulfilling relationship with God and more productive spiritual life than we have. God has brought us to this point and he wants us to send them further than us. So we need to think of our children as they are children that are in the Lord. The moment they're conceived, they're in the Lord. I'm not saying they're saved, but God gave them to Christian parents, right? Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the Lord. We should be treating our children as if they're going to become Christians. And we don't need to wait until they make a profession of faith or understand salvation to be training them to be godly Christians. We should be rearing Christians, people that know how to walk with the Lord. And when it finally dawns on them, when they, and if we're doing this, the moment that they come to a point of realization, they will just naturally turn to the Lord. And down the road, they might even, if we're doing this right, they might not even remember exactly the date or even the time. They, it could be so early that when they look back on it, they think, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm trusting in the Lord for everything he's done for me. I'm, I'm depending on him for everything. I'm, I'm living a life of, of fellowship with him, but I can't remember the time, the date. Okay. Now, if you grew up without the Lord, you're going to remember the time and the place. But if our children are hearing us preaching the gospel to them all the way along, and they just they believe as soon as they understand... They believe before they understand, don't they? That's one of the problems we have. Uh, I, go, I was saved when I was four, and five, and six, and seven, and eight, and three times while I was nine. I didn't go forward and make a profession, but I'll say, man, you know, you hear a good sermon, and you're a little kid. It's like, Lord, if I'm not saved, right? I'm, I'm being a little funny, but that's what happens to us that grow up in Christian homes. But that's, that's okay. Don't we want their hearts to be tender toward God? And anything, any, any prompting of the Lord, so they, they go back to the Lord. They're young. They don't understand all that stuff. So they, they just, Lord, I'm yours. I believe in you. That's a sidetrack, sorry. But we're to, we're to bring them up in the Lord. They're in the Lord. They're not outside the Lord. They're not some, you know, they're not a heathen until they trust Christ as their savior, we might look at them and say, oh, the little heathens, okay? But we, hopefully we don't mean that. They're your children. Remember Paul talks about a believer and an unbeliever? What does God think about the children of a believer and an unbeliever? The children are sanctified. They're set apart because they have a believing parent. So your children are sanctified Rear them like they are. Teach them like they are. And when the time is right, if we're doing it all, they will be converted. They will turn to Christ for salvation. But we don't need to wait till then to start training them for the Lord. God gave them to you. He knew you went to this church. Right? You were born, you're a child. How should I live? The way Fairhaven wants you to live. The way Fairhaven teaches your parents to train you to live. Why? 
Did God make a mistake when he gave you to your parents and your parents were in this church or they moved to this church or whatever? No. So you're to be raised as a Fairhaven Baptist church child. And that's way down the line. After being a Christian, after being a Yum or a whoever. So, we got to think that way. Our children, they're not believers, but they're Christian children, and we need to train them that way, bring them up that way. We can't presume. Say, well, the Bible says, you know, they're, they're sanctified because I'm a Christian. I don't need to worry about it. The Lord will take care of it. Obviously, that's wrong. But we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't prevaricate. We say, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I hope he chooses the right way. No. Believe that God put him in your home because he expects them to be a Christian and then train them, train them, train them, teach them, teach them, teach them, preach to them, preach to them, preach to them from before they're saved through the time that they're saved. Disciple them after salvation all the way until they go out and go get a godly wife or you give them to a godly young man and they do the same thing in their home. We should believe and act or work upon that belief. We should be thinking, my children are Christian kids. I need to bring them up as Christians in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Stand on God's promises. Next foundational thing. Our homes should be the happiest place on earth. Your home should be the happiest place on earth. Should be like heaven on earth. Should be a haven from all this junk that's outside your home. Now hopefully they go to Fairhaven Christian Academy. And it's not as junky there as some public school. But there's kids there that they haven't learned to get along with yet. Yet. Um, But they should be able to come home, and home is the happiest place on earth. It is a place where there's laughter. There's conversations. Not lectures. Conversations. Where everyone can talk and be heard. There's joy there. There's instruction that's enjoyable because it's related to the child's life. What happened today on the playground? What happened today at recess? I wasn't able to go to recess. Oh, you know, so, or whatever. That's, you know. Um, what happened? What did you learn in your science class today? What did you learn there? What happened at lunch? And these things are talked about. Children can talk about what happened and you can instruct them. Wouldn't they want to know because they just told you what happened in their life? And you have a conversation, not like, okay, so I, I've, got a, I've got an index of all situations that can happen at school, and the Bible says this, the concordance says this. Not that. Conversations. Instruction that is enjoyable. It should be fun. It should be fun to be at home. And not because there's ungodly entertainment there, and we're all glued on something else. Fun because we like being around one, one another. It's a fun place. If our homes are a godly, joyful place, they will be a place where whining and lying and disobedience sticks out. Something that shouldn't, like, ooh, that doesn't belong here. Right? So mom and dad, so mom and dad should have so much, let's call it joy collateral. That when they have to write a check out for some pain and sadness, whether it's a minor spanking or something bigger, there'll be plenty in the bank. 
Home is a place where we want to be. I feel loved here. I'm respected here. And so when dad, dad is disciplining me, I have no doubt he loves me. But if, it, if the home isn't a great place to be, and dad disciplines me, it's like, does anybody love me? I'm going to eat some worms. So, the home should be a joyful place, the happiest place on earth. Then, the home is an obedient place. The home should be an obedient place. The Bible commands to our needs and against our inclinations, okay? And I'm saying that because of what we're going to say after that. But the home should be a place of obedience, and now we're talking to men and, men and women, dads and moms, husbands and wives. The Bible commands to our needs and against our inclinations, because the Bible, God knows how we're made. So, that means husbands are to be respected. What does that mean? God knows husbands need to be respected. And God knows that wives would rather do other things than respect their husbands. So God commands us, respect your husbands. But, in an obedient home, dads are respected too. And the sons are respected. Because God knows that he made men and women differently. So boys need respect. So, what can you respect about your son's actions? What needs to be redirected? He is a boy. But he's trying to, he's trying to, God made him to take charge, to do this, to do that. That's good. That's the way God made him. But he's a boy. He needs redirected. He needs to take that energy and point it in a godly direction. But if a boy is stepping out and doing something, we should see, even if it's just the tiniest little bit, we should recognize what he's doing that's right and redirect what he's doing that's wrong. It shouldn't be like, I respect him, whatever he's done. You know, whatever he's done doesn't matter. I respect him. But it could be, I can respect the things about manliness that he has learned and is practicing. Living that way puts collateral in the bank for when you have to say, nah, that's not wise. And it's not just wise, I'm not going to let you do it. Homes are a place where wives are loved. What does that mean? Wives need love. And husbands aren't inclined to do that. Husbands are inclined to respect their wives. Just have the most utmost respect for my wife. You just wouldn't imagine all the things that she's able to do. That's great. But the Bible says she needs love. So I need to love her. And that means moms need loved. And daughters. Does your daughter know that you love her from your words? From the compliments you give her? Not, I compliment or love on her regardless of what she's doing, but I compliment and love on her so much that when I have to say, don't wear that, ever again, I can, and she knows I love her. It's not like I think she's ugly, so I don't want her wearing that. Or I think she's 
an immoral girl, so I don't want her wearing that. I love her. She knows I love her. And so I can say that. Because there's collateral in the bank. So then some fundamental issues. How should our house work? First of all, work, try to have a few clear rules. A few clear rules. In the world that God created, how many know were there? One. So it should, you, children shouldn't have to be, you know, shouldn't be wishing for the IRS code because the rules at your home are even more. Okay? We don't need tons of rules. Narrow it down. Narrow it down. Narrow it down. Basic rules. No lying. No lying. That's pretty basic. If we have no lying in the house, we're in, we're in a good place. No disobedience. That's pretty simple. So, for the children in here and the adults, obedience is not hard of hearing, it's not forgetful, it's not piecemeal, little by little, it's not postponed, it's not interpreted to mean something else, it's not sullen, okay? That's just in the spirit of obedience. No disobedience. And I'm, not, I'm not saying, well, what I am saying is we don't need to have a list of 75 things that if you break that rule, you've disobeyed. One rule, no disobedience. And they shouldn't have to remember, especially young kids, shouldn't have to remember a bunch of rules. When they do something, stop that. If they don't stop, a spanking. If there's 16 rules and you say, you know, you're always supposed to do that. And they're like, oh, I forgot, whatever. And then you're like, oh, you shouldn't have forgot. And then what are we doing? Back and forth, back and forth. You're getting a spanking anyway. Is that a place of joy? No. But if it's just no disobedience, stop that. Now, we can, we can take this further. If you're saying stop that every 10 minutes, you know, then, then you could, there's, a, there's another thing to do. Like saying, okay, from now until you go to bed, I'm not going to warn you anymore. You're not going to do that anymore. You're, you're fairly warned. You do it, spanking. Do it again, spanking. Okay. But every day is a new day, fresh, clean slate, no disobedience, no lying. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Another good rule. If you just had these three rules, your house could be a place of joy. No fussing. Or as they get older, whining. Or as they get a little older, murmuring. It's all the same thing. No whining, no fussing, no murmuring. This is something we need to work on. I can announce something in high school choir, and many of them are like, that's a sin. Murmuring and complaining, you know, at least the serpents didn't show up in the, in, in the choir practice room. The fiery serpents. I'm being a little, a little silly, but that's a sin. But because we want our children to be authentic, we want to really know how they really feel, we let them whine and, and, and murmur and fuss. None. 
no fussing. You go to pick up your child from a friend's house. Time to go. Oh, mom. That's fussing. You don't need to spank them at the friend's house. You can wait till they get home. You know that. Now, how do you stop that? Practice. Okay, we're going over to a friend's house. Mom's going to show up. And what are you going to say when mom shows up? Okay, mom. Practice. Okay, mom. No fussing, no whining, no murmuring. We use different names as we grow older, but it's basically the same thing. So we have these rules. As the children mature, and I mean when we say teen, after their age, as they mature, they should be embracing these principles, not chafing under them. They should be embracing them, and this should be normal. A rebellious, period, a rebellious time in a, in a child's life is not a biblical norm. It is a cultural norm. It is normal in this world, but it's not biblical. Okay, so those are just some fundamental things. If we just get down to those fundamentals, we can work toward uh, having a good relationship with our children. And really, having simple rules. If a child is like, oh, I can't do that, what else am I not supposed to do? If they know they can live, and as soon as mom says something, they hear it, and they stop, or they do, or whatever, that's easy. That's a lot easier than remember 23 things that I must do in order not to get a spanking. No lying, no disobedience, no fussing and whining. What happens when, when we need consequences? Biblical consequences. A stinging spanking. A stinging spanking. This is biblical. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 19.18, Chasten thy son while there is hope. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. And we could spend another half an hour reading verses that talk about spanking. So that's biblical. But we'll say, I'm not, I'm not excusing it. In fact, I'm embracing it. But it is a manufactured or an artificial punishment. When they get older and sin, nobody's going to come along and spank them. But there'll be other things that are more realistic. But much better to learn obedience and truthfulness and contented joy from spankings than from the real consequences. So the Bible says to do this betimes. Chasing them betimes. That word means early. Early. I heard a man who um, has the children and grandchildren to be able to say this, say that probably of all the spankings that your children would get in their lifetime, they should get about 90% of them by the, between the age they can move and do something wrong and five or six. And then the last 10% between five or six and 11 or 12 and then after that, the consequences should be more realistic. Let's talk about that just a little bit. When you're going to give a spanking, there should be something that happens. You disobeyed, that's a spanking. Go to the bathroom or go to your room. I, I was never spanked in the bathroom, but I think the bathroom might be a good place for it. It's small. It prohibits you from, in anger, doing something that you shouldn't do, being sinful. Just some stinging wax. But wherever, go there. 
Why are you being disciplined? I lied. I disobeyed. I complained. Whatever. What is that? Sin. I guess we, can, we, we could just brace ourselves for saying this is a sin, but there's something about the word sin that's just hard to say. Right? It's hard. I sinned. I mean, it's easy for me to say right here, but to tell my wife I sinned? I was wrong. I sinned. That's hard. I don't think you can get to, to that just in, by rote. I'm sure somebody can. I sinned. What is that? It's sin. And sin must be punished. And then spank them. One swat, two swats, maybe four. I would think at the most, five. If it's just... A real battle, but not a lot, just stinging. Then, you're not done. All right, son, now that the sin has been punished, I can forgive you, and I do. Everything is right again between me and you, and between you and God, if you seek his forgiveness. And then, when you're ready to join the family, to rejoin the family, you can come out. You leave. If they're whimpering and crying, we don't want whimpering and crying. We have, our home is the happiest place on earth. So get the whimpering and crying done. Come out and rejoin, hopefully sooner than later, the happy and joyful family environment. And if you have a happy and joyful family environment, you better believe they want to be out there rather than wiping the tears off their eyes. As they get older, we'd have real perhaps modified or probably modified, but real consequences. Those things. Which are, is what? Biblically, what is that? Repentance and restitution. Okay. Repentance and restitution. Now you might have to think about how is that going to work in this circumstance or that circumstance, but repentance and restitution is the real way that adults respond to sin or conviction. And so we training our children along that way. Repentance and restitution. That's biblical. The Old Testament law repeatedly teaches how restitution should be made. We may have to be creative, but there should be few to no spankings as they're in their teens. And all the teens who are here are like, yes! Okay? But are you, the, are you the child that you ought to be? Are you the joyful child in your home? Or are you a grump? If you're a grump, Grumpiness isn't allowed in a Christian home. It's not, I mean, Christian home is a place of joy. Think of, uh, our home should be patterned after uh, God's family. And what's God's family? We have the father and the son. You think they're ever upset at each other? The father delights in his son. The son loves the father and delights. In, uh, their fellowship is just the most, it's heavenly. It's beautiful. That's the way our home should be. So you can't be a grump and be a godly person in your home. So, we may have to be constant, but there should be, very, should be few to no spankings, but lots of repentance and restitution. And when I say lots, hopefully not lots. But don't kid yourself. Say, well, Pastor Roland said few to none, so I can just let them do what they want. Now, you're not done, Dad. We're, we're, we're transferring them, transferring this from outward compliance to inward embracing the principles of the Bible, loving the principles of the Bible, living the way the Bible says they should. They embrace the principles of the Bible for themselves. 
So what should we do with this? How can we conclude? A few points. First of all, let's be aware of the times. Be aware of the times. Um, if you know who won the college championship, but you don't know the temptations that your daughter's facing, you're not aware of the times. If you say, my family, we do this, and so does everybody else, you're not, you haven't won. If you're weak where the battle is raging, you'll lose your children. You have to be strong where the battle's raging. Be aware of the times. Next thing, fathers, take control of your homes. Take control of your homes. And I think this is absolutely, I think, I think this is a, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't say major. It's a significant failing with fathers that they don't take an active role in their teenage girls' lives. You're their father. You are their father. You're the one that God gave them to protect them and to keep them pure until you hand, give their hand in marriage to a, to a godly man. If your daughter wants nothing to do with your hand, you might walk down the aisle, but you're not giving her away in marriage. She's been gone for a long time. It's your responsibility. Take control of your home. You may need to really pour on a lot of love and, and saturate your home with love so that you can get money in the bank, get collateral in the bank. But that's what, if that's what needs to be done, let's do it. Your wife helps you lead. She's not the leader. She's your help. I know there's some things that you're going to say, you know what, I think she needs to be talked, about, talked to about this. And your wife can talk to her about that. But you need to be making that decision. If your wife likes the way she looks, but you think, I was a guy, I was 17 once, and she shouldn't be looking like that, then you need to say it. Uh, you're not going to go out that way. In fact, praise the Lord, you've gotten taller, and now that dress doesn't fit you anymore. Or growing any other way. It's true. It happens to me. I got clothes that don't fit anymore. I try to squeeze into them, and that's maybe obnoxious to people, but uh, anyway. Let's wrap this up. If noticeable changes need to be made in your home, and I, I, unless something's really clear in your mind, I wouldn't think this would happen tonight, but maybe by Monday, after prayer and thinking things through, if noticeable changes need to be made in your home, and I think many of you should, you need to call a family meeting. Confess that you are also under authority. And you have not been obeying him. Ask for your children's forgiveness. And lay out a few simple rules. Just a few. Maybe even, if it's gone too, so long, maybe even just one. Say, we're going to work on this. And if this happens, if I'm obeying God, 
you are going to get punished. You are going to have discipline. I owe it to you to discipline you. And then three weeks, we're going to add this one. And by then, we should be good that two weeks later, we add this one. And hopefully you don't have two weeks later and two weeks later and two weeks later. You know, remember, just a few simple rules. Lay out a few simple rules and lay out a timeline for adoption with consequences. Maybe you say, I'm not saying you need to do the ones I say, but the ones I've said are, are really good ones. We're, gonna, we're just going to oversimplify things, just these three things. And lying, we should have that under control. So from now on, a lie gets disciplined, doesn't matter. After a week, obedience. And between now and then, it's like, okay, I said that, that's disobedience. On Monday, that means a spanking or whatever. And a week after that or two weeks after that fussing, maybe I would maybe get rid of the whining first. Oh. Lay out a timeline. Timelines will vary with age and the amount of changes. Could be that you think, wow, that's good. We've been doing most of that, but we could improve there. Just do it right there. Do it right there. I don't know everything, but I've been at this for a while. I've worked with children for a while, teenagers and children for a while. I had my eyes open as a teenager myself. So now it's been 30 years. A lot of you need to work on this. Or else you need to tell your kids to act the way they do at home, at school. You shouldn't be whining at school. There shouldn't be disobedience at school. There shouldn't be murmuring and complaining at school. But it should be so consistent at home that's not a part of their life. It's like, like they're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Home and Mr. School. So, and then, throughout all of that, and maybe just as important, maybe more important, keep or create a loving, joyful, talkative climate in your home. You can't take this and go home and say, we're laying down the law, and go in your room. If you hear something like, that's a spanking, get in here. No, it needs to be a joyful, happy place to be that when something happens wrong, it breaks it. People are like, uh-oh, he's getting a spanking. And he's like, whoops, I'm getting a spanking. But I know dad loves me. I'm going to go take it. And as soon as I feel good, I'm getting back so I can be part of this happy, joyful home and being a part of it. Let's ask the Lord to help us with our homes.